0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad you guys have gathered with us. You know, as I've thought about last week uh, and, and what is coming, this inauguration... There's a passage that's just resonating in my heart. You know, it's so important, guys. Certainly as we move into a new year to get into the Word of God. If you don't have a reading plan, good time to pick one up. The one that I use is Audible. Listen, it reads it to you. I mean, come on, how much how how easy does it have to get? It's called, it's from Premier Christian Radio. You can go in your podcast called the Bible in the year. It's got a British accent, so you pay attention a little bit more because you're like, what was that word? Anyways, and, and you get up, and it's 15 minutes. They're reading the scripture to you, and you can go back, and you can read it later. Anyways, get into scripture. Allow your heart to be saturated, your mind. We are those who follow Christ, and to follow Christ means that we need to have his spirit and his word constantly before us. So I encourage you, find that reading plan and get into it. Because in this week, I've been thinking about this passage in James, and he asked these two pretty vital questions, and I would throw these out to you. One, who is wise and understanding? And then second, what's causing so much division among you? You know, we live in a culture that's honestly driven by shame and honor. The pagan world was driven by shame and honor. If somebody won, then you had to go back and you had to, you had to break them down. If somebody shamed you, you shamed them more. What transformed that was the gospel, which was not a story of... Uh, vengeance and retaliation. It was a story of self-sacrifice that led to life. And so James asked this question, who is wise? Who is understanding among you? Let him show it. Hear these words, let him show it by his good life, by deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and so deny the truth. Because see, such wisdom, it doesn't come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have selfish ambition and envy, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven, church, it's first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It is considerate, submissive, impartial, and sincere. Hear these words. It is pure. It is peace-loving. It is considerate. It is submissive. It is impartial. It is sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace, they raise up a harvest of righteousness. But what is causing fights? What's causing so many quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within us? We want something. We want something, but we don't get it. We kill and covet because we cannot have what we want. We quarrel and fight. We do not have because the fact is we don't ask God. And when we ask God, we do not ask. We ask with wrong motives that we may simply spend what we get on our own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, meaning the values, the ways, the methods of the world, is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be simply a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture that that says that the spirit he caused to live in us envy intensely, but see, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes, he opposes, he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So as a church, we must humble ourselves before the Lord, and he lifts us up. Who is wise? You know, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, that's not just on the good days. It works at all times. The fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control we as those who follow christ as our lord under the banner of his lordship and authority we put those values first over the values of the world and we engage in the politics we engage in the world but we engage in a way that reflects the savior that we love and that we worship and our devotion is to him first as you listen to some way Is it the wisdom that comes down from heaven? Or is it earthly? Is it unspiritual? Is it of the devil? We have to be discerning. And we have to engage in ways that glorify God first and honor Jesus Christ. Because the fact is, I mean, we know it. The world's watching. The world's watching. The next generation that's even in this room is watching. And by by the way we respond, they get a vision of who this God is and whether they want to worship, to follow, to adore him. Church, the stakes could not be higher. We We have been privileged to live in a time such as this. And so as the church, does character matter? And when I refer to character, does it matter in us? You know, we live in this very unique time where you can present an image of yourself and think it's reality. You know, social media and the way that people present themselves today, you can, you can paint an image. In some ways, that image that people perceive to be true is more important to us than what is actually true doesn't matter if I really have character, or if I really love God, or if I really am a good parent, or really a good husband, or a good spouse, or a good wife. It just matters if you think that that's true. And we live in this perception world. And really, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to jump into this. That's the world that Jesus is addressing, a world that cares more about what others think, and certainly those in our own tribe, than what our Father sees. Because God is looking past the outward appearance. He's looking into the heart and his eyes scan to and fro across the land to find someone whose heart is devoted to him. And as we jump today back into the Sermon on the Mount, this beautiful, magnificent, controversial, difficult teaching of Jesus, of what it means to live the way of Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves, am I as concerned about what is dominating, controlling, overriding my heart as I am simply what other people think. You know, I came across this quote this week, and I honestly don't know the author very well. I think I've heard of his name maybe once or twice, but he said this. His name is Theodore Dalrymple. And he had this insightful, insightful idea. He said, holding the right opinions has never, at least in my lifetime, been as important As it is now. If that is, you want a reputation as a good person, actual good conduct, which, listen, requires effort, restraint, self-sacrifice, has correspondingly become less important in earning a reputation for goodness than simply holding a placard, chanting a slogan, expressing an opinion that seems to be enough perception matters over the content and the character of our hearts as the church god is doing something through us god is at work and his desire is for his glory not only to dwell in us but to dwell through us and to manifest to the world the character of our god church how are we reflecting Him? Who is wise and understanding? And are we willing in 2021 to say, hey, man, what's causing fights and quarrels? What are the desires that I simply need to surrender to my Father? Let's jump into Matthew chapter 6 to pick up in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, in chapter 5, Jesus has been addressing these, these laws in the Old Testament, and He said things such as do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not commit false testimony. And the reality is in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's revealing the true heart of God for us. That where God says, do not murder, murder Jesus says, yes, absolutely. And yet, what is God after? Not just the abolition of murder, but of bitterness, of discord, of rage, of anger, of hatred towards others. What God desires is peace in the heart. And when it says, do not commit adultery, it's not enough just simply to avoid adultery. Rather, do not objectify a man or a woman for your own own desire. And then he says, do not return evil with evil. Don't return violence with violence. Who are we? This isn't the way of the kingdom. That's the way of the world. Rather, when violence and injustice come, instead, stop the process of retaliation. Don't just love your neighbor. Don't just be good to those who are good to you. What benefit is that? That's what the world does. You are not of the world. You're of the kingdom, and the king has come. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When they strike you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do we care more about reflecting the ways of the world, or are we passionate about our King and the values of God? In Matthew chapter 6, see, he moves simply just from these teachings and he starts to examine the motives of the heart. That it's one thing to be impress- impressive before man, but do we long to be impressive before God? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He starts off and he says, hey, watch out, beware. Here's what I want you to be aware of. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. See, they love to stand And pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, I to just ask in this time that we've set aside, it's just a moment on a Sunday, this Sabbath, where we rest and we, we acknowledge your presence and who you are in our lives. Father, would you teach us? Would you heal us? Would you restore us? Give us a vision for life that matches your vision for the kingdom. Father, guide us into all truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice in this language, in chapter 5, Jesus didn't say, beware of murder, though we should, beware of adultery. But here in chapter 6, there's something, he's saying we should be aware of. There's something that needs to gain our attention. And what needs to gain our attention is practicing our righteousness before others. Now, that may not strike us as that significant, but to Jesus, it's it's everything. Because see, practicing your righteousness before others, that's what caused the Jews' the Israelites to go astray. They're more concerned about the approval of others and what others thought rather than simply presenting their heart before God. And this word righteousness in the Greek is is a word that means It's It means to be right with. It's a relational term. And it's not just right living. It means to be right with God and to be right with others and in some ways to be right with ourselves. Because see, when you're right with God, right God things come out. When you're right with others, right other things come out. When you're right with yourself, you treat yourself well. When you're in a home and and you've got a marriage and the marriage is going well, good things come out, right? Well, that's what righteousness is. It's what comes out of right relationships. And when you are right with God, right things naturally come out. And he's saying, don't practice that rightness before others because when it's practiced before others, it's not right. It's wrong. And he says, watch out be careful. And then he he engages really in three areas. He describes giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Now, in Jesus' day, that's that's how you shine. It wasn't about success and money. It wasn't about having the best home or the best body or the best whatever. It was about these three things. And if you did these three things, if you gave, if you prayed, and if you fasted, that's what made you successful in that culture. And Jesus is addressing those three things. And the first thing he says is he, he assumes that we do them. Notice he's not teaching us to do them. He's not saying, hey, listen, now that you're following Jesus, now that you believe in God, you need to start giving to the poor, you need to start praying, you need to start fasting. No, he says, those that love God, this simply is how they live. Because remember, when you're right with God, right stuff flows out. What's right stuff? Right stuff is giving to those who are in need. Right stuff is praying to God. Right stuff is fasting, a heart that's cultivated for God. And this word poor in the Old Testament and New Testament is important. We tend to think of poverty and giving to the poor in some ways as giving them a couple dollars. Maybe lifting them up a little bit, giving them a meal or a step up. But see, poverty in the Old Testament and the New Testament is about oppression and injustice. When you read the Old Testament, God associates himself with the poor. And the comparison is, he rejects oppression and injustice in the world. And he's saying, when you see oppression, when you see injustice, we are to be generous towards those who are in need. Not just to give a dollar or to give a hand up, but rather to see culture and society begin to change. This is more than simply making a donation. This is about bringing life and light into the lives of others. And so the first thing he tells us and he assumes is this is how we're gonna live. Now it's important in verse one where he's telling us, don't live your righteousness before men to compare that actually with chapter five. Because in chapter five, he talks about being salt and light. And he describes the church this way in chapter five verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, when you compare that to chapter 6, verse 1, it seems like something's wrong because he says in verse 1, beware practicing your righteousness before others. Now, what is he describing? On the one hand, we're to live in a way that others see what we do but don't practice your righteousness before others, what he's referring to is who gets the credit. Who are we glorifying? We're simply glorifying ourselves to build ourselves up, or rather, do we glorify God? And hear me on this, the essence of sin is exchanging the glory of God for the glory of self. Paul says we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've exchanged God's glory for a lie. We have worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Who is the one that's glorified? Who receives the credit? And then the second reality addresses is not only this is how we should live, this is the right that comes out of that right relationship, but what's the right motivation? He's looking past the behavior into the heart and he begins to examine, look at verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. In order, and here's the key word: to be seen by them. Now, the Greek language—it's it's a rich and full and meaningful language. And this word that is translated "seen," is a Greek word that's very difficult to pronounce. So, I'm not going to do it. But it, it, from that word, we get our English word "theater." And he's saying, "Do not be on a stage. Do not perform." Do not choreograph. Do not live in such a way that you bring light to yourself. Instead, live in such a way that reveals your rightness with God. You know, as a pastor, I feel that. The reason I feel that is for most of you, for the vast majority, you know me better in this spot than you do out in the world. You hear me and you hear more about what I have said than how I live, and that's dangerous. If you're known for what you have said and not the content of how you lived, you can start believing your own hype. Why do pastors fail so often? Why do they fall into stuff that you and I would say, come on, because they believe their own hype. They rely on talent and skill They rely on a growing church. They're relying on a flourishing ministry to give them an identity instead of having that identity anchored in character and integrity and love for God. And church, I know that's not just true for me. It's true for all of us. That it's easy for us to build a life. And listen, life's going well. Hey, God must be for me. Nothing bad's happened, right? He must not really care about the way the things that I set before my eyes or the way that I live, sometimes we lull ourselves into this sense of, hey, everything's all right when God is examining the heart. And so he goes on and explains what this motivation is. He says in verse two, here's the wrong motivation. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Again, this is a, fascinating passage in the greek because giving to the needy that word needy you wouldn't you wouldn't realize this but it comes from the root word which means mercy and so when he says give to the needy what he's saying is give mercy now why because remember what is poverty in scripture it's not just hey this guy's down on his luck it's oppression and injustice when you see oppression and injustice, what do you do you respond with mercy You respond by lifting up, changing the circumstances, speaking into it in a way that brings light and life. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to what Jesus has brought about, often what happens is we reduce the work of Jesus simply to the salvation of souls. The salvation of souls is valuable, important. You're creating the image of God. God is restoring that. But realize when when you read the word of God, it says that Jesus is restoring all things. He's restoring work. He's restoring human dignity, he's restoring life, he's restoring relationships, he is restoring education, he is restoring health, he is restoring all things. Which means that when we see something that is broken and we have the opportunity to address it, we bring mercy. We change systems. Where there is racism, we address it. Where there is brokenness, we fix it. Why? That's what the church is about. It's about bringing everything under the feet of Jesus. And when something comes under his feet in his presence, it gets healed. God cares for the world. God cares for our climate. God cares for the sick. God cares for the homeless. God cares for the poor. As much as we might care for the soul, God cares for all things because it's all his. And realize to be in the kingdom of God doesn't mean to leave your job and to leave what you do. And to suddenly step in and just teach Sunday school or step aside and get involved in the things of the church, that's important. The things of the church matter. But it's about allowing God's presence and His power to work through what you do. That you do it in a way that reflects Him, not just simply reflects the world. And you do it not for the praise of the world, but for the praise of God. That we bring everything under the feet of Jesus and our entire life is a manifestation of God's kingdom. And of the character of our King. Discipleship and following Jesus is not about one aspect of life, it is life. And when the church moves out in that way, they realize every aspect of life is under his authority, which means we are always to reflect him. Not just in the church or not just in our jobs, but in politics and how we engage and what we say and who we support and how we support them. And in being silent and in being vocal, we always manifest God's kingdom because through you, God wants to bring all things under his feet and to show mercy. What was his problem with the Old Testament? What was the problem with those? He's saying, listen, I'm tired of your sacrifices, tired of your money. I want to see mercy. I want to see addressing the oppressed. I want you to live in a way that reflects my heart for the world. Church, that's what God's calling us to. You know, the person that's been most instructive for me in this is a guy named Dallas Willard, and this is how he described the content of what a disciple is. He says, as Jesus' disciple, I am his apprentice in kingdom living, and I am learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom Of the heavens as he would lead my life if he were i that being a disciple means living your life doing your work engaging in your relationships inhabiting your community with christ in a manner that manifests his rule and his reign right where you are there are issues of injustice and oppression all around us now i don't know about you i get overwhelmed because you look at the world and you see all the troubles and with the media that we have, and the ability to connect from one place to another, you see the problems in every corner of the globe. See, as a church, we start where we are. There are people who are lonely that live next to you. There are people who are going through challenges and difficulties. There is injustice, sin, brokenness, darkness, even in the beauty of our own community. We have to start where we are and begin to allow God's mercy to make its way into our own community. Do you know the people around you? Hey, if you don't, how will you know what's going on in their life? Church, we are God's witness, not just for the salvation of souls, but to bring everything under his feet so that heart, soul, mind might be given in devotion to God. This is our calling into the world. And you know what happened? In 70 AD, after Jesus died, rose again, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And see, the temple was the center of worship in Jewish life. And at the center of that, the center center, was the sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sins. It was the symbolic reality that God had forgiven us and accepted us and adopted us. Well, what happened in 70 AD? What replaced that when the temple was destroyed? What replaced it was giving to the poor. What replaced it was showing mercy to the world. And there were laws that had to be put in place because, see, some Some devoted followers would give so much of themselves, so much of what they had that they said, you can't give more than 20% because people were becoming poor by their passion to show mercy. God cares about our motivation and we have to see the world differently, not through the lens of whose tribe are you in? How can I shame or how can I overcome? No, we have to see it through the lens of what God is doing in the world to restore all things under his feet. And that means us. So let's jump into this verse verses two and four and look at this right and wrong motivation. And so he describes the wrong motivation. Thus, when you give to the needy, when you show mercy, don't sound the trumpets as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. Now that word hypocrite, it's a negative word to us. And scholars in the New Testament say that Jesus, in some ways, is coining a new meaning to the world. Because it's a technical term. Just as I said the word scene means theater, the word hypocrite means an actor. And an actor is someone who pretends to be someone that they're not. And what do they do? They set up a stage. They set up a performance. Sometimes they wear a mask. And they present an image and a concept and a person to the world, which doesn't correspond with reality. That's a lack of integrity. Because see, what's integrity? It means to be whole. That what you believe, what you say, how you act, and what you support, they become one. And Jesus is saying, when we pretend to be something that we're not, we're not fooling God. Though we may be fooling the world. Now, what's really fascinating for me as a pastor is when I think of hypocrisy, I get mad. Now, I don't get mad at my own hypocrisy. I kind of forgive that. But when I see yours, when I see the churches and the world's right, that's how we are. We can see each other so clearly. It's like, what is wrong with that girl? Doesn't he realize what he's doing? And what do we tend to think? When somebody is living in hypocrisy, we say, you know, you're misrepresenting God. People are going to get the wrong idea about our God or... Or maybe they're not gonna trust him or trust in the gospel. You know, when Jesus warns us about hypocrisy, it's interesting what he says is the greatest danger. And it's not that we're gonna misrepresent God, though that's important, or cause people not to trust him. It's that it might work. And in working, we become enslaved to the approval of man over the glory of God. That we are afraid Notice how he describes it. He says in verse 2 Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound the trumpets in the synagogues. Why? That they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, you've gotten what you want. Truly, the essence of sin is exchanging the glory of God for the glory of self. What if the punishment for hypocrisy is that our hearts grow cold? What if the punishment for hypocrisy is that we think it's enough? What if our punishment for hypocrisy is we no longer hunger for God? We no longer thirst for God. That is the church, hear me, we no longer think we need him. And so we do not do mercy, we do not pray, we do not fast. What if we have been lulled into the satisfaction of our own glory, of the giftedness of our leaders, of the power of our resources? What if we don't think we need God? See, that's the danger of hypocrisy. It causes us to believe that we are self-sufficient. What was Jesus' message? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They're the ones. Listen, you want to know who's going to get the earth? Who's going to inherit it? It's the meek. It's through meekness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that hunger and they thirst for righteousness. You know what? Each one of these conditions reveal weakness a weakness that manifests God's strength. Church, do we long for him? As a deer pants for streams of water, does our soul thirst for him? Do we long to be with God, with the living God? Or are we more concerned about what we see going wrong in in the world? You know, God wants to get our attention and he will use the brokenness of the world to draw us to our knees in dependency on him. What if the greatest danger of hypocrisy is that we get what we want and we're satisfied? So he goes on in verse 3 to describe this right motivation. But when you do mercy, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret and your father, and listen, he sees in secret, he will reward you. Now that's a strange statement. Don't left your left hand, know what your right hand is doing. Obviously that's hyperbole. Just as he said, don't sound trumpets. There were no trumpets that were sounded as people gave. There weren't a brass quartet as someone was making a donation. Likewise, when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he's exaggerating to make a point. And yet there's some truth in this idea of not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You know, great athletes, what makes them great is they're good at the simple things great tennis player, a great basketball player, football player, baseball player, what do they do? They practice in the fundamentals. It's not like they move on from the ABCs. No, every single day it's A, A, B, B, C. They practice the fundamentals. Why? Because when the game comes, it's fast. You've got smarter, faster, quicker people around you, and you have to learn to react. What if right relationship with God that results in right stuff What if what he's saying is the reason your left hand don't know what your right hand is doing, because when you see oppression and injustice, mercy just comes out. You don't have to think. You respond. Your heart is so in step with the heart of God that you're not trying to perform. You're not saying, hey, who's watching? What do they see? But how can I love God and love my neighbor? I think it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's being more overwhelmed by the love of God that the Spirit takes control in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It begins to flow. That wisdom is pure, peace, loving, considerate, submissive, impartial, and sincere. It just comes out. Why? Because you're more concerned about being right with God than just being simply right with the world. He's describing this right motivation. And so he's telling us: first of all, we should do this stuff. Church, we we need to do this stuff. We gotta do this stuff we got to practice mercy. We need to pray. We're going to be talking about that and, and then maybe stepping into that language of fasting. And then second, motivation matters. Do we do it for love for God or simply love of glory a love of man? And then finally, and this is challenging, rewards matter. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, we get nervous about that in the Western church. Rewards, don't we do it just because we love God? I don't need a reward. I don't need a treat. I don't need a gift. But notice throughout chapter six, how many times his rewards mentioned? Over, over, don't pray to get this reward, get this reward. Don't go for that, go for this. And when he says earthly rewards and heavenly rewards, church, don't think of timelines. Often when we think of heaven, we think, okay, I'll get that reward when I die. Heaven, what is heaven? It's the place where God's rule and God's reign is supreme. It's the place in which all things are made whole. Now, listen, Jesus has come, and yet his presence is here. It's not full. When Christ comes in completion, heaven will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Right now, it covers you. And when he's saying heaven and he's saying earth, both of those rewards are now. The question is, what is that reward? And frustratingly, Jesus is not concerned about telling us. (laughs) I wish he would. And yet I do think there's some clues in what he says. Look back at verse four. And he says, and your father, when you show mercy, you see oppression. When he sees in secret, he will reward you. In verse two and verses three and four, the context is being seen. You're either gonna be seen by men or you're gonna be seen by God. Have you ever known somebody who hasn't been seen? Now, maybe some of us have had that experience. We weren't seen by our parents. How does a a young man grow up without being seen by his father? How does a young woman grow up without being seen by her father or her mother? What does a young man want to hear? We know. Why do we do this? Hey, dad, look at me. Hey, dad, I am tough. I am fast. I am quick. Why does a little boy, why does a little girl, I don't know what little girls do, I don't have any, but why do they do that? (laughs) Whatever that is. You guys can tell me later. (laughs) Why do they do that? You know, every child longs for the attention of their parents. Here's scene, you know, when you have that that little baby, my wife was so good at this, it was so foreign to me, I just didn't get that nurturing side. And and she would have my son there, and you know, the little faces. And what was amazing is that Nate Bryce at that age, they would respond the same way, and they would mimic and she would smile and they was and she would frown and they would frown. You know what that's called in it's called mirror neurons I just discovered this, and mirror neurons are something that that when you have a child they just they fire, and that baby and that child and something's happening there's this connection what's happening is they're being seen and if you go onto YouTube and check this out it's a little disturbing that they would even do this, but there's these experiments and the mother would hold that baby and she's all lovey and then all of a sudden her face would just go flat, flat affect. And you look at the eyes of the child and they have no idea how to respond. It's almost like fear, confusion, sadness, worry. They, they're not seen. But when the mother responds, what happens? Wow, life if that's what we need as human beings to be seen, what has sin done? What sin has done has kept us from being seen by the Father to being known and knowing the Father. And what if when he says he sees what is done in secret, what if the things of God just start becoming more real? You know those people, they're those people that go through trials and they just seem to be strong, anchored, in the truth, and in the sovereignty of God. Why? Because I think in those moments of secret, they have been faithful and they have been seen and they have seen God. And God's love has become more real. So often people say, you know, I just don't sense him, I don't see him, but are you, do you recognize how desperate you need to be for him? Are you allowing him to come into those moments of pain and anger? Are we just allowing the flesh to rule? I think the more we allow ourselves to be seen, the more the things of God start to become tangible and they become what we desire. Because who is Jesus? You know, he is the God man who was not seen by the world but was seen by his Father. He was the light of the world. The light came into the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. He came to his own. But what did they want? They wanted a political revolution. The evils of the Romans, the evils of the empire, they wanted to see it destroyed. And Jesus came in and they didn't recognize him. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? Jesus was okay with rejection, are we? He was okay with oppression. He was okay. sacrificing for those who would never applaud him, love him, care for him, but abandon him and reject him. Why? Because he was fully seen by the Father. What if we had that experience? What if that was our pursuit? What if that is the church, is what the church is about, simply to be seen and to see him? And in recognizing that, you know what the soul becomes satisfied? As scripture says, is with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise him. I will meditate on him through the watches of the night. God is more rich and deep and glorious than we could possibly imagine. Church, are we satisfied with the approval of men and the ways of men? Do we want to be saturated and satisfied by the glory of God? This is our pursuit together. You know, And as we share in that glory and in that worship, God does something through us to reveal his character, his person to the world. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your truth. And I, I just confess, Lord, so often in our brokenness, we love the pride of life, the pride of flesh, the lust of the eyes. Lord, these things glimmer, they shine, and yet, compared to the glory of God, they're a mist that appears for a little while and just vanishes. Lord, help us to let go of the things of this world. And I pray for each one of us. I think that manifests in different ways. Lord, maybe you be satisfied with the glory of God. And for those that, that don't know you, I, I pray in Jesus' name, they would cry out, Father, accept me through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I accept his life, his perfect life laid down for me. I accept his death on the cross, which is the forgiveness of my sins and his resurrection power, which gives me newness of life. In Jesus' name, Father, would that life come through the gospel? And Lord, for those of us who have become tired, we have become weak, we have become warm through the storms, through the night, Father, lead us on to the light, renew us in the gospel again the truth of who you are, may we long to see you. And in this year, may we truly make it our mission to be with you, Father, then to become like you and then to do what you have done. Guide us into all truth. And as a community, Father, give us grace for each other to love well so that we might live well. We love you in Jesus' name.